Hey, what's going on? I'm Panicky in the UK, and this is Panicky Pictures. Ah! Okay, uh, let's uh, kick off with a little bit of housekeeping. I did make a big announcement about how I was going to relaunch my podcast, and I made a huge deal of it, and then I put out, like, two episodes, and then I dropped off the face of the earth. Um, I can't even really blame life events for this, um, unless, like, chronic mental illness is a life event, more of a life circumstance. You know, uh, so I was I was working night shifts at this job that was making me really miserable, so you can imagine that was kind of a double whammy, and also I did decide, <laughs> I did uh, decide at the beginning of May, like somewhere around there, that I was gonna try and read Ulysses by Bloomsday, which is June the 16th, which is like six weeks. I know it seems like plenty of time, but I've always been kind of a, a deep reader <laughs> rather than a quick reader. Um, even when I was, I mean, I used to read as a kid, like, kids' books pretty quickly, but um, I remember as a teenager, I read Middlemarch and Anna Karenina, which is still two of my favourite novels, but, like, it took me months, and it was worth it, but, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not a speed reader. Um, and I was also, like, alongside that, reading readers' guides to it, because I, I wanted to really kind of dig into it and, and try and get as many of the references as I could and everything. So anyway, yeah, I had that going on. But actually, I think um, one of the reasons why I wasn't super motivated to be putting out new episodes was I wasn't getting a lot of listens. Um, And I never get a ton, but I do usually have like a core group of kind of ride or die bitches who do listen. Um, And I say that in the most loving way possible. And it just didn't seem to be happening. And I, you know, obviously I'd switched over from Anchor to Acast and I'd also had a big gap in between so I kind of figured okay you know I guess people didn't stick with it or were listening on Spotify or whatever but uh, what I did recently realize is that I (laughs) I made a rookie mistake and uh, I messed something up and it wasn't going through it wasn't getting pushed through on Apple Podcasts I guess Uh, which also means, I think, that it wasn't, like, I think a lot of Android podcast apps scrape Apple Podcasts, so if it wasn't going out on Apple Podcasts, it wasn't going out on, like, Pocket Casts, which is what I use, you'd think I would have noticed, but anyway, Acast did, like, have a little message at the top saying that there was, like, an issue redirecting it to iTunes, but I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Um, (laughs) but I finally have. The reason, actually, uh, that I did finally get around to figuring out what was wrong and sorting it out is that I have a new podcast project with my friend Ashley Naismith, who guested on my Christmas episode, I guess, like, 18 months ago or something? That sounds right. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 2020? Yeah. Uh, anyway... (laughs) But my friend uh, and I have been working on this podcast for a while, we're finally pushing it out, and um, I did uh, get around to checking what the crack was with Apple Podcasts, and so I think it's fixed now, and if my listenership numbers for the past week or so or anything to go by, it is fixed. Um, so thank you so much to the people who, who have listened to those episodes now that they're finally listenable. And uh, I'm sorry about that, but here we are. 
Oh my god, I'm dropping in with an edit here because <laughs> I totally forgot to plug my new podcast and like say its name. I got distracted. It's too hot today. Uh, this is the vibe you can expect for the rest of the episode. So I hope you're into Lucy Goosey because that's what this is. Um, <laughs> so anyway, my new podcast with my friend Ashley Naismith is called The Mo's Scale. That's Mo's spelled M-O-H-S. And if you look for it in your podcatcher, um, there is already an introductory episode out and the first proper episode is dropping on Tuesday. I really hope this comes out before then. But anyway, uh, <laughs> either it's dropping on Tuesday or it's already out. And basically we use a quiz format. She has a science background, I have like an arts and humanities background, and we're trying to bridge that gap and we're using a quiz format to do that. And I think it's a lot of fun and we really enjoyed making it. And uh, please, please check it out. Um, we we worked so hard. Uh, seriously. Um, I would really love it if you would give that a listen if you're not completely sick of the sound of my voice by now. Oh god. Alright, that's the most scale, M-O-H-S. Alright, thanks very much. Um and now I will hopefully this will like segue back into what I was saying. I don't know, man. Okay. I thought I would do another Apple TV Plus episode, my three-month free trial, which you may remember that I got with my PlayStation 4, which I've had for years and never knew (laughs) that I got three months of uh, Apple TV Plus on it uh, until this year. But hey, it was great. Uh, I'm really happy that happened. So, but the three months are up. So it's finished. I've watched as much as I can watch, um, and that's it. Uh, But I did manage to fit a few more things in since my last episode, quite a few more things in, Uh, and I thought that I would talk about that today, if that's cool with you. If it's not cool with you, um, say something now. Okay, I I can't hear you, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go ahead. Uh, Alright, so... I think I'll I'll start with movies because I have actually reviewed all of these on my Letterboxd. Um, so if you find me on Letterboxd, it's Panicky in the UK, which is also like the the artist displayed on your podcast app for this for this podcast. So you should be able to figure out how to spell it. I know so, sometimes people are like, oh, so it's like anarchy but with a P at the start. Uh, and they put underscores in it and stuff. I remember one guy said to me, it's panicky spelt weird. And I was like, it's not. That's how you spell it. So I don't know what he was thinking of. But anyway, um, <laughs> hopefully you can figure it out. But that's my username on Letterboxd. And so you can go and read my reviews there if you want more detail. And if you go to my tags, everything I watched on Apple TV that is loggable on Letterboxd is logged under on Apple TV+. Plus. <sighs> So there you go. I'm sorry if I'm over-explaining. I want to be accessible to people who might not be super familiar with Letterboxd. Anyway, um, so let's do movies first. Let's whiz through them. The first movie that I watched on Apple TV+, Plus. do I have to say the whole thing every time? I'm just going to say Apple, I guess. It's going to save me a huge amount of time. So that's great. Anyway, the first one I watched was Wolf Walkers, which I'd heard absolutely rave reviews of. 
from Cartoon Saloon. Not reviews from them. The movie is from them. I'm sure they like it. Uh, but I'd heard so many people saying great things about it. And I did really enjoy it. And I, I do think that it's really uh, interesting to kind of see something about that period in Irish history. I certainly haven't seen uh, a lot of movies set in that time period in Ireland. I think it's a really valuable story. I have been kind of trying to dig into Irish culture and history a little bit lately. It's part of my heritage that I kind of want to understand more deeply, so I've been trying to do that. And so this was... Really great in terms of feeding into that. However, I did feel, I think for me, the kind of high watermark, no pun intended, of cartoon saloon stuff is Song of the Sea. I don't feel like Wolfwalkers does quite live up to that for a few reasons. It's longer, uh, which is fine, but I do think that there was something just so perfectly formed about those early cartoon saloon movies that would be like you know sub 90 minutes and I think that this one possibly does outstates welcome slightly I do think it's an issue that movies aimed at kids are getting longer and longer and obviously you know part of that is going to be budgetary reasons the reasons the reason why animation in the past tended to be shorter was because it cost so much to produce and took so much time to produce and now In the case of something like Disney, you do have, obviously, computer-generated animation, which mm, I wouldn't necessarily say that it makes it easier, but I guess maybe it kind of diffuses the work out to more people, so it does get done faster. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I only wrote my master's dissertation on Disney movies. I should know this, but I was doing more of like a narrative analysis. Anyway, the point being, I think that, you know, Cartoon Saloon have had more money to put behind this one. And that has ended up with it it being considerably longer than their earlier films. Um, I think it's also more derivative, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, you know. I think that all art is essentially kind of transformative, you know. It's kind of playing with ideas that are already in the culture and kind of having a dialogue with them. But that said, you know, I do think that you can really uh, see the influence of both Disney and Ghibli here. Um, I was thinking particularly, okay, so there's a little bit of um, Brave, quite a lot of Brave, actually. Um, I think there's a bit of Ponyo, I think there's a bit of Princess Mononoke. So you're definitely seeing those influences. And I feel like previously Cartoon Saloon had kind of carved out its own niche and now is maybe becoming a bit more homogenous, which I think is a shame. I also, I don't know, I I thought it was interesting that they chose to have English protagonists and I wondered what the thinking was behind that, maybe to kind of have a bit more mainstream appeal, possibly, I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but I do wonder why in a story like this, a about the colonisation of Ireland by the British Empire, 
there is this need to centre English characters in that way. I don't know. Um, I feel a bit weird about it, I guess. But, you know, it's fine. And then the main character's name is Robin Goodfellow for no reason. That just seemed lazy to me. So I did have some issues with it, only because I do think that cartoon saloon movies in the past have been so special and I worry that this is kind of a movement away from what really kind of gave the studio that identity. But on the other hand, you know, I'm glad that more people are seeing their films and being exposed to these kind of Irish stories. I think that's great. And also a little bit of Irish language, which is amazing. Um, I'm also, I I did mention in my uh, last episode that I was trying to learn Irish. I'm not doing a very good job, uh, but anyway, um, (laughs) uh, nevertheless, um, you know, I I, I do think it's really cool to hear a little bit of Irish language spoken like that, um, even if it was only a teeny tiny little bit. All right, uh, moving on. I did say I was going to try and keep these brief. So, um, Hala uh, is a coming-of-age film uh, about a Pakistani-American teenager played by Geraldine Viswanathan, who was also in Blockers. I think that she's obviously really talented, but I kind of felt that I... I could tell that she was struggling to really get a grip on the character, which I think is an issue with the writing. Unfortunately, I just don't think it's very well constructed, which is such a shame because, like, South Asian representation is so dire. I mean, in a way, it's probably worse here in the UK because the proportion of the population that is um, South Asian diaspora is a lot higher here, and so they're just significantly underrepresented in our media but you know I think pretty much everywhere like in the Anglosphere underrepresented sadly so I really wanted this to be better but it's just it's it's not it's not terrible um you know it's kind of worth a watch but in terms of kind of this sort of coming of age movie I think that things like Skate Kitchen do it a lot better although unfortunately there isn't south asian or, or muslim representation in that movie but it is um I, it is still a, a better made film i think so i was disappointed with hollow but i'm glad it exists i just wish it were better speaking of coming of age movies i did also watch coda finally which everybody's been talking about forever um and i enjoyed it a lot um i've seen criticisms of it that the deaf characters aren't really centered i, I mean i think that's fair I guess you have to contextualise it because it is a remake of a French film which was very successful where the deaf characters weren't even played by deaf actors and apparently the sign language was terrible. So I think it's kind of an attempt to take that story and do something a lot more authentic with it and I think it succeeds in that. But yeah, it doesn't really centre the deaf characters, I guess. I mean, it's there in the title, right? It's child of of deaf adults. She's the child. I do still think, on balance, that it's a positive step forward in deaf representation. But yeah, it could be better. I did... (laughs) 
I have to be totally honest, and this is me being basic, but I did struggle to connect to the fishing storyline. She comes from a fishing family, and there's a lot of tension and drama around their fishing business, which I know a lot of people do make their living fishing, and it's incredibly important. I... It's not something that I have, like, a strong connection to. So I struggled with that a little bit. I also didn't find the romance very persuasive. I quite often struggle with romances in teen movies. I don't know. There's always that... I think 8th grade does it really well. Where, you know, there's that kind of, like, slow-mo thing of the guy. And he's, like, you know, he, he he's just a little kid. And it's so much in her subjectivity that it's funny and it's self-aware. But I think so often in these movies, these teenage boys are actually being played by men well into their 20s. So when you have the kind of, you know, her kind of get, like gazing at him soulfully and sighing and leaning back on her locker and all of that stuff, you are looking at an adult man, often not an adult man, mm, where I can see the appeal. I mean, it's not about me. It's not. It's not aimed at me, but... I don't know. Um, I have the same problem with Harlow, where it's just kind of like, this guy? What's so great about this guy? I don't get it. But mm, anyway, I did I did really enjoy, however, the whole kind of singing storyline, particularly because I felt like it was much less about her being kind of discovered as this incredible voice, which is not something that I find super compelling as a story, but it was much more about her embracing something that meant a lot to her that she loved and working on it and it was about the work and it was about her kind of accessing the emotions that she needed to do that work and to create that art in a way that was meaningful to her so I think that to me is a lot more compelling than just oh hey she was born with a pretty voice which I don't care about and I think the film also kind of addresses that by saying you know there are a lot of pretty voices with nothing to say and it talks about Bob Dylan in that context and that's always going to win me over. I did just, I can't afford this at all, but I did just buy tickets for his show in October on his UK tour. I'm completely like, I'm I'm insane and I'm probably going to catch COVID and it's a whole thing, uh, but I, I just really want to see him. It's been a long time since I went to a Dylan concert and it's like, this might be my last chance. So anyway, <laughs> All right, moving swiftly on. Oh, staying in musical mode, kind of. Um, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Oh my god, I'm not going to linger on this. Honestly, this did absolutely nothing for me. And at the time, I was kind of like, hey, you know, it clearly has its heart in the right place. It's just not for me. But the more I think about it, the more I actually think that it's incredibly self-serving and a total vanity project and actually just really poor. And, you know, in theory, there's an autistic character in it who is played by an autistic actor. And according to the film's Wikipedia page, because I did look this up, she contributed to the script. However, she is not given a writing credit on that script. So what those contributions were, I don't know how substantial they were. To me, it wasn't persuasive as somebody who has both worked quite extensively with autistic people and also known several autistic people socially. Obviously autistic people are not a monolith and I talk about this in my letterboxd review, I'm not going to belabor the point. 
it didn't ring true to me. I don't want to be a gatekeeper about it. And if autistic people did relate to that character, then obviously that's great and it's none of my business. But just to me, it rang false, I have to be honest. And also I just kind of think she's pretty much in service to the central character where it's like, oh, look how much she loves him. He's so good with her, you know? And mm, I don't know, it, it just all did feel quite narcissistic. My review on Letterboxd is um, honestly a lot more neutral than that because when I wrote it I didn't feel that strongly but the further away I get from it the more I think it's actually a bad film. Um, And I do, um, in my review, I link to a write-up which is much more negative and I think very persuasive. So feel free to check that out. All right, final movie. Uh, The Velvet Underground, uh, Todd Haynes. So I was really looking forward to this and I assumed that I was going to like it. You know, I like Todd Haynes. I love The Velvet Underground. I generally like movies that use a lot of archive material, like I was thinking about um, Wild Blue Yonder, and which is a Werner Herzog uh, movie that I watched a couple of years ago, and uh, Just Don't Think I'll Scream, a really super interesting movie made up of movie clips uh, that this guy watched, and he's kind of telling an autobiographical story through the medium of these clips of movies that he watched over a certain period of his life, which I just think is such a great concept. And, you know, like Adam Curtis uh, documentaries and stuff. But I think that what all of these films do have is a narrative through line provided by a kind of authorial voice. Whereas what Todd Haynes does in this movie is rely almost entirely on contemporary interviews, by which I mean interviews conducted at the time that the movie was being made. So, of course, Lou Reed is dead, Nico is dead. So John Cale and Mo Tucker are kind of the two voices of the band that end up coming through most strongly. But despite the fact that Mo Tucker is in there uh, as an interviewee, I feel like we don't really get a lot of her background or her musical influences or musical education. She just kind of like appears one day as the drummer without that kind of deep dive that you get with Kale and Reed, which I understand because obviously, you know, Reed and Kale were the two creative forces who really combined to create that unique velvet sound and the documentary does delve into that in a way that I found really interesting and one of the better parts of the documentary. I suppose, look, I mean obviously no like authorial voice in a documentary is ever objective, there's always an agenda there But I think at least it can provide a kind of narrative framework, it can provide some contextual information, you know, and it can help provide a through line. Whereas what I felt ended up happening with this movie was that the people who were still around and were willing to do a lot of talking ended up really dominating the narrative. And I think in particular, it does really become the John Cale story. And that's a story worth telling, and it's really interesting, but it's not the story of the Velvets, you know? So you end up getting those second two albums, not including Squeeze, uh, Loaded and the third album, really end up getting quite short shrift. And okay, you know, Kale wasn't unloaded, um, Tucker wasn't unloaded because she was pregnant, fair enough, but, you know, those are really important Velvet's records, and the fact that they're 
really not discussed in a lot of detail and all of the focuses on that first album I just thought was kind of unbalanced and I felt that uh, I mean again call me basic I think a voiceover would have really helped just to kind of make it so that the people as I said who are still around and willing to talk are not the ones completely dominating the conversation and I think one place where this is really egregious is when the movie touches on Lou Reed's electroconvulsive therapy the person who is really able to frame that episode in his life is his sister who is clearly very protective of her parents so you don't get a lot of insight into that you don't really get Reed's point of view particularly on what that may have been like and how that may have affected him um I mean he's not around to tell that story but I'm sure that you know he did talk about it I'm sure he wrote about it I'm sure that there is documentation somewhere of of how he felt about that and the effect it had on him and you don't really get that you just get other people talking for him and I actually found that really problematic, um, not to use a buzzword, but I did. So I was I was actually really disappointed, um, and I think it's a it's a big shame. I know that a lot of people have absolutely loved this doc, and you know there are things about it that I did like. Definitely the kind of musical analysis of the the sounds and the influences that went into that incredible seminal first album you know some of the stuff about Nico was really interesting and you know I'm a big Velvets fan but my grasp on the kind of biographical information was patchy so there was a lot of stuff I didn't know that was really interesting but ah, oh, I don't know it just I, I did feel that there was an over-reliance in those interviews those contemporary interviews and that un- ended up really shaping the film I guess it was you know, an oral history, essentially. And it's not that that isn't valuable, but I think that when some of the key players are dead and you're trying to do an oral history, I think you end up missing out quite a lot of really important information and context. Because, I mean, you know, Warhol, Reed and Nico are now all dead and they were incredibly important parts of of that, of particularly those early days, the Velvets. So... Um, right, <laughs> we're nearly at the half hour mark, um, I mean, I don't know, a little bit less than that hopefully once I edit this down, but, um, I I really did think that I was just going to whiz through these movies, um, but I guess not. Um, I'm going to take a break and, uh, I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> Welcome to part two of my podcast. Uh, (laughs) I am going to talk about TV. I have less TV to talk about, but possibly more to say. Um, So it might take longer. I'm going to try and keep this under an hour. And then I am going to briefly talk about things that I did not finish for one reason or another. Oh, I had another little piece of housekeeping that I forgot. Um, I've already done my uh, 
edit point where I actually tell you the name of my new podcast. I just did that. Oh my god, I'm such a wreck. Yes, so Ashley Birch from Mythic Quest, among other things. Also the voice of um, Aloy in Horizon Zero, or well, the Horizon series now, um, recently came out as queer. Um, I think she used the term pansexual, and I believe that was like at the end of June, um, so a couple of weeks ago now. And I don't know, man, it really sent me spiralling because I had talked about how few of the actors playing queer characters in the shows I've been watching, this is my last episode, were openly queer. Which I think is an important point, but now I'm kind of second-guessing myself, because I wouldn't consciously think that I was entitled to that information about anybody's sexuality, and yet obviously on some level I do think that I'm entitled to that, and... I don't know, it kind of made me feel bad when she... I mean, not obviously, I'm, I don't feel bad that she came out. It made me feel bad for what I had said when she came out, because I kind of felt like, actually, I mean, you know, I'm really happy for her. I guess it's none of my business, and now I feel like, was I wrong to talk about that, and to, I don't know, like, have a problem with how few out queer actors were playing queer characters, because then it puts the onus on queer people to be out, which is unfair. And, you know, people have a right to privacy, and I don't necessarily have a right to know their sexuality. And, you know, in this day and age, people shouldn't have to, like, announce that they're queer if they don't want to. Well, in any day and age. But, I don't know, I'm on the fence about it, but I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that, yeah, I don't know, I feel ambivalent about that. And I'm sorry I said that her kisses on Mythic Quest were weak sauce, even though they totally were. Um, But anyway, congratulations to Ashley Bush, she's great, and... um, you know, I do really like Mythic Quest, even if I think the romance is a a little bit weak. Anyway, moving on. Alright, so the first thing that I absolutely binged after recording my previous episode was the After Party, uh, which I loved. I really, really enjoyed the concept. Um, I found it very, very engaging and propulsive. And as far as the mystery element goes, um... I wasn't sure if the resolution was totally satisfying. The solution had crossed my mind. I I feel like it's one of those things where you can kind of say, oh, you know, I knew that that was going to be the solution. I didn't at all. I had entertained that possibility, but then I kind of... I, I didn't have, like, a strong theory at all. I guess the reason why that person had crossed my mind was because I think the show went to such lengths to make that person sympathetic which was why it was kind of a disappointment to me just because I really liked that character um I hope I'm not spoiling anything obviously there are a number of characters who are sympathetic and likable so I hope that this isn't a spoiler but I did really like that character and so I was kind of disappointed by the solution in that sense but you know I think ultimately it was satisfying and as I say I just really enjoyed the concept and a great cast um Sam Richardson I guess you would say is the protagonist I know him mostly from I think you should leave I know he's in Detroiters as well so Tim Robinson but I've never seen that I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere in the UK I've never come across it certainly doesn't seem to be on any of my streaming services I've heard great things about it 
but he is also a part of I Think You Should Leave. And I, I, I do think it's very fun when he gets to get do a slightly more goofy character. He seems to, in the other things that I've seen him in, get a little bit typecast in the nice guy role, which you can definitely see why that's happening, because he is a really likeable presence. But I... I kind of wish that he would maybe get parts that allowed him to lean into that slightly more goofy side a little bit. Obviously, the after party has a lot of goofiness in it, but he's still basically a kind of mm, nice guy, fairly grounded protagonist compared to some of the other characters. And, oh my god, I'm literally going to have to look up her name because um, this is so embarrassing. So, (laughs) this there's Chloe Zhao and then there's Zoe Chow and again super basic of me I I do keep forgetting which one is which just because like their names are like reversals of each other you get it okay here we go Zoe Chow and she her character's name is also Zoe so it should be easy to remember um I feel like she's kind of come out of nowhere she seems to be in everything all of a sudden and I wasn't aware of her until well this was the first thing that I saw her in I know that she was in love life I think prior to this but I only just I actually binged all of the first season of that recently but we're not here to talk about that because it's not on apple so um maybe that's a podcast for another day uh but she she wasn't that she's also in uh, senior year with sam richardson which was also a kind of high school reunion like throwback thing so it's kind of a similar vibe in a way although she was playing a very different character he was playing kind of a similar character actually anyway senior year was atrocious I, I don't know why I watched it. I'm really embarrassed that I watched it. Uh, but they were both in it. And uh, yeah, she seems to be suddenly very ubiquitous. And she's great. Yeah, I don't know. She just seems to kind of like burst on the scene all of a sudden and now is in a lot of stuff. So she's like a new name to me. Uh, and then, of course, there are a lot of um, great people in it. Uh, one person who I thought was really interesting was uh, Genevieve Angelson. Um, she's not in it a huge amount, but I think that she... She definitely has a really interesting vibe. I'd be interested to see her in more stuff. But yes, it's uh, it's a really good show. As I said, maybe the final episode was a little bit disappointing, but uh, generally I, I really liked it. Um, but Severance, oh my god, so good. Um, Severance is almost certainly my favourite thing that I've seen on Apple now. Um, I just adored it. And I'd heard amazing things, but you know... When things are hyped and you're like, okay, I don't want to be disappointed and, you know, I just wasn't sure. But man, was it good. What I think is so, so clever, I am assuming, you know that opening scene, if you haven't seen it, I apologise, but if you've seen it, you know what I mean. The opening scene where she wakes up on the table and you have him... Uh, doing that, I'd say him, uh, you know, the guy I mean. Adam Scott is the name of the guy I mean. I just had to look it up again. (laughs) It's pathetic. Um, But, uh, oh, he's in uh, Madam Web, it just got announced, so that's fun. But uh, but yeah, so Adam Scott's doing this creepy voiceover, and it's very sinister, and then you see the same scene from his perspective later, I'm sure it has to be a different take. I would love to do some kind of side-by-side comparison because the tonally is so completely different. I think it must, must be two different takes. But then again, maybe not. Like, it is so contextual. Um, I just thought that was so clever. I, 
I I love this show. I love the idea. Uh, I just, I mean, I I don't want to talk about it too much, partly because I don't want to ruin anything, and partly because all I could really say is just how much I love it. Um, But actually, speaking of um, kind of queer representation, I actually really loved that relationship in in this show and i know you know like the the actors on out as queer and there are all kinds of things that you could point to where you could be kind of like it's incredibly hypocritical for you to praise this relationship when you know you've you've been down on some others but i don't know it just really worked for me it's such a good cast um john turturro I think the f- I know that John Turturro has been famous for ages, and I w- would have seen him in things before this. But the first time I really remember seeing John Turturro in anything was The Night of with Riz Ahmed, um, which was actually a remake of a British show which was called Criminal Justice, and it starred Ben Whishaw. It's also the first thing I ever remember seeing him in. And hey, he was in a Todd Haynes music movie, so mm, six degrees of separation. But um, this is the first thing I ever saw Ben Wisher in. It was kind of before he was famous, but they remade it as The Night Of with uh, Riz Ahmed and John Turturro, who I thought both were just so incredibly good. And I think probably The Night Of is better than criminal justice i think they're both good but i think you know the night of because it does also bring in themes of islamophobia um i think is ends up being more interesting and i think also the u.s prison system i mean don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the british prison system is like good or functional but i think because the u.s prison system is so messed up um that it does just end up being kind of harder hitting Anyway, so John Turturro's in a newsflash. John Turturro's a good actor. Um, Christopher Walken, uh, amazing. Uh, I mean, look, I know Christopher Walken's background may be suspect, but he is a great actor and um, very cool to see him. I'm going to move on because I feel like I'm at risk of repeating myself and just saying it's so good, but it is so good. And I'm probably going to have to resubscribe to Apple when the second season comes out um, because I I got it I I got to watch I got to watch it. Uh, all right, so Severance, oh my god, just wholehearted recommendation there. Um, okay, finally, not finally, because I'm going to talk about my did not finishes as well. But <laughs> finally, for the stuff I finished, Prehistoric Planet, which was just a total godsend for me. I absolutely, sorry about the neighbor's dog, loved Prehistoric Planet. I loved the fact that it was released over five days and it kind of created this sort of appointment TV thing. I was feeling really depressed that week and I swear that like every evening I would watch an episode of Prehistoric Planet and eat a vegan magnum and having that to look forward to was seriously just like getting me through each day um i really liked it um i do vaguely remember walking with dinosaurs back in the day but but not in a lot of detail and um i i I found it very enjoyable and uh my cat watched some of it with me and um it's i think it's in the top three things that he's watched with me that he actually seemed to get any enjoyment out of whatsoever um that wasn't like cat tv that i put on for him 
The other two things uh, were the rat scene in Encanto and the closing credits of Finding Nemo. He 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 got into those. Uh, but yeah, he was really enjoying watching the little lizards run across the screen. He was uh, he was into it, and hey, so did I. I love feathered dinosaurs too, by the way. Um, I also have written about this on Letterboxd, by the way, because it is loggable on Letterboxd. And I did also <laughs> I live tweeted my experience of watching the whole thing. So that would be another huge recommendation from me. In fact, I'd, I'd recommend all three of those. You have to party Severance and Prehistoric Planet. Um, Severance probably at the top, then Prehistoric Planet, and then the After Party. But they're all good. Probably three of my three mm, top picks from Apple, really. Um, all right, let's move on to I guess some of my bottom picks. Uh, I'm really gonna. I swear to God, like I I said I was gonna be quick. Uh, I'm like just constitutionally incapable of being brief some somebody once uh complimented me on my brevity um <laughs> but I, I think it was an off day um, i never met a silence i couldn't fill anyway all right let's whiz through these dnfs so first of all ted lasso i left off at episode seven of season two i talked about ted lasso in my last episode i'm not going to belabor the point it's just not for me there are two things that i do want to say about it that i don't think i particularly mentioned in my last episode first of all the more i think about it the more it pisses me off the way that they handled nathan's character i'm sure that there's stuff that's that happens in those last few episodes that i haven't seen and i'm not talking about that but i just think that i mean i've talked before about how they don't have a lot of british writers in the writers room and i think that that contributes to the problem uh, that i have with the show but I think far worse than that is that as far as I'm aware, they don't seem to have any South Asian writers on the show. And I just think that the character of Nathan is such a missed opportunity. And I just, look, I'm not saying that there aren't any like South Asian diaspora people who, you know, have this very kind of assimilated existence, but as someone who grew up in an area that had a big Pakistani population, I just don't think that that does reflect the reality of most people, uh, you know, most British Asians in this country. And I think it's a real shame to show that just incredibly kind of assimilationist approach to that character. And hey, you know, some people might say, hey, it's colorblind. All right. I personally think it's a lot more powerful to tell stories that are authentic to an actual culture than it is to just be kind of like oh hey we've got an asian actor playing a character who is essentially white and you know is does not appear to be culturally asian whatsoever to me that seems less powerful and less good representation (laughs) call me crazy um but anyway that pisses me off the other thing i want to say about ted lasso is i got i realized what it was about it that was jarring for me i think apart from the fact that you know a lot of the times the english characters will be spouting americanisms and all of that stuff but i think what i realized is that it gives me the same feeling that i got watching torchwood which is this is so clearly a kids show like this is this is a show 
for little children is the vibe and then suddenly somebody will start going fuck or you know like there'll be a sex scene and you're like whoa what's going on and then you're like oh right this is supposed to be for adults adults watch this and it's just so weird and uh, the thing about Torchwood, Torchwood had a lot of problems at least it did have a lot of queer characters Ted Lasso does not do that so um and again i'm sorry like if it means a lot to you i don't want to take that away from you but i also can't lie about um my feelings towards it <clears throat> my voice broke there got emotional <sighs> all right um so the second thing that i dnf uh was the essex serpent i watched three episodes of that i found it to be a huge snooze i'm sorry i really like claire danes um I, I like Hayley Squires, um, on the whole. Um, I didn't, Tom Hiddleston is fine. Whatever. I don't really get it, but it's fine. But yeah, I just, I couldn't connect to it at all. I found it, I've heard people criticise Danes's performance and say that she's miscast. To me, that's not the issue. I think she's fine. I think that there's just, I couldn't get emotionally involved and I thought that the kind of, oh, it's a metaphor for repressed sexuality. I just, I find that so boring. And I, I just, I, I just really couldn't get into it. So, sorry. Okay, this one I genuinely am sorry about, um, for all mankind. Friend of the pod, uh, Jonathan Rhodes, who was on my Christmas episode and who was also on my It's a Sin episode absolutely raves about this show, tweeted me about it today, um, unprompted, and, um, hey, you know, it's Ronald D. Moore, I'm a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, I should like it, um, Alan Seppamore, a TV critic that I really admire, is crazy about this show, um, I don't know how to explain but I just found it really difficult to connect, I think particularly to the main character I just felt and I'm sure that the show plays with this and subverts this and goes on to do interesting things and I'm I'm very sure that there are female characters who are brought out much more in subsequent episodes it definitely does seem that way but I just found him really repellent and off-putting and I watched the first episode and there were so many things that I did like about it but I found him so difficult and I started watching the second episode and I was like maybe it'll be from somebody else's perspective you know maybe it will have shifted but it was again from his perspective and a lot of it was on him and I was just like uh, I can't do this and I stopped watching and I feel bad and if I do get Apple TV plus again then I'm gonna give it another try but I, I just have to be honest like he <laughs> I found him really hard work you know I think with Battlestar Galactica I think if I'm honest like the thing that really I don't know like turned a switch on in my brain with Battlestar Galactica when I first watched that original miniseries which is great in all kinds of ways but the moment where I was hooked was when Katie Sackhoff came on screen and you know there's just so much about that scene that's perfect and I just didn't have a feeling like that in the first episode of For All Mankind even though there was a character that I did kind of gravitate towards more 
and there was stuff again that I liked that I found interesting a lot of really good performances but it just I I, I just found that main guy uh hard work and I couldn't quite get past that on this watch but I promise that I will try again um when and if I do uh renew my subscription uh which will probably be when the second uh, season of severance comes out whenever that might be um i did also watch one episode of luke okay so from now on the ones that i didn't finish it was a time issue mostly i tried to watch a few things in the last few days when i i still had the service but i knew that i wasn't really going to be able to watch a full season so i was just kind of checking things out um loot i tried one episode uh really didn't do anything for me didn't make me laugh at all it's a real shame but yeah i just i didn't find it very interesting and i found it pretty hacky and yeah i don't know like the wealth porn I get that it's like being subversive, but I just still found it quite repellent. And I think that the show Hacks, which I just finished binging the first two seasons of, I know the third season isn't out yet, but it just got renewed. I'm so excited. I love the show. I think Hacks does that a lot better because you do have a point of view character who is kind of outside that world. Um, And also it's just better written. Um, Arguably not as diverse, um, but uh, better written and better conceived. Uh, To be fair, I know that one episode doesn't necessarily give you the best idea of what a show is, because sometimes they really find their feet in the second and third episodes, but, you know, um, I only have so much time on my hands, and it just really didn't uh, grab me at all. All right, I watched an episode of Dickinson, which I actually really liked. Um, I've heard great things about it. It didn't, like, set my soul on fire, fire as much as I kind of expected that it might. It did feel very, I don't know, it felt a little bit teeny, possibly, maybe just aimed at like a younger audience than me. Um, But I did enjoy it. I think it's often spoken about kind of alongside The Great. The Great, I really loved the first season of The Great. I thought the second season was kind of a mess. So I don't, hmm, it's hard to say. Because I think that it's a show, Dickinson this is, is a show that will probably kind of reveal itself gradually. And if I'd had the time, then I uh, I probably would have really got into it, but I just didn't. Oh, I watched half an episode of Amazing Stories, or is it Amazing Tales? I forgot to write that one down, and it just came back to me. Um, it was a mess. Um, I couldn't even finish the first episode. I was like, this is a huge waste of my time. This sucks. <laughs> so, so not a big recommendation there, but I just, I just remembered that I watched that the same day I watched the first episode of Dickinson, so it came back to me. All right, um, my dad begged me, begged me to watch the first episode of Slow Horses and report back to him, because he is a fan of the books, and I thought, this is not my kind of thing. I like Gary Oldman, but the only spy thing I like is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's not a genre that I'm interested in at all. And when I first started watching it, I was like, oh, yikes. Because the first scene is like this whole thing with a terrorist event with South Asian terrorists. And I was just like, oh my god, is this a story that we really need to be telling right now? However, it did surprise me. No spoilers, but it turned out to be not what I initially thought it was going to be. I actually really enjoyed it. I watched the first two episodes. I thought there were a few dud notes. So there's a scene at Leeds University where I attended. Now, to be fair, I attended Leeds University like 10 years ago. 
so it may have changed or my memories may be false i don't know but it just it to me clearly was not Leeds University it looked absolutely nothing like Leeds University or the union and it was like my assumption is they filmed somewhere else and they mucked it up to look like Leeds sorry mocked it up not mucked it up <laughs> but I why like is it important to the plot that it's Leeds University could you not just like make one up so that it wouldn't be so jarring for people like me who actually went there but again having said that I might be a hundred percent wrong and it might actually be filmed there and I'm just going insane but (laughs) the other thing about that scene was that it was a guy doing stand-up very inoffensive not very good stand-up and he starts he doesn't even say the joke he just has a setup that mentions the word Allah and people start getting up to leave because they're so offended and like when I was at Leeds University, I actually did, like, terrible and offensive stand-up, and people are so polite. In my experience, students are very polite. It was just kind of, like, quiet bewilderment most of the time. I did get some laughs, um, (laughs) but yeah, a lot of it was quite bewilderment. And uh, the only time that I actually did run into any trouble was when I went to an open mic night at this, like, civilian pub uh, that was not student oriented and there were like older white guys who had come to like read a patriotic poem about their granddad fighting the war or something and they did not like my act so i don't know i kind of feel like it's playing into this whole like oh the young people are snowflakes blah 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 whereas in my experience the only people that i ever seriously offended were like older working class white guys so whatever um make of that what you will But on the whole, I did really enjoy it, and such a good cast, apart from Gary Oldman. Oh my god, you've got Kristen Scott Thomas, Uh, what a legend. You have, oh, Rosalind Elazar, who was in Personal History of David Copperfield, so good in that. Um, She's in it, I love her. Oh, apparently Sophia Canedo is in it. Um, She wasn't in the two episodes that I watched, but she's fantastic we love her oh my god samuel west olivia cook amazing people jonathan price and um the main guy's played by jack loudon who i haven't seen him in anything he was in like dunkirk and stuff whatever but he's good and uh freddie fox i don't know what i have seen him in if anything uh but i thought that he was actually very good and obviously he is one of the good foxes and not the bad fox. Oh, he was in Pride. Okay, I don't remember that. Uh, but um, anyway, Freddy Fox, a good un. So I did, I did enjoy Slow Horses much more than I expected to. I wish that I'd started it earlier because I think I actually would have watched the whole thing. But I just kind of got it in there in the last minute because I knew that my dad would be really upset if I didn't. And then the very, very last thing that I ever watched on Apple TV Plus was the first half of The Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, And I assumed, as I think you would, that I was going to have it up until midnight, right? It stopped working at 8pm when I was halfway through the movie. (laughs) So I, I can't speak with much authority on it. I was quite enjoying it. Um, I have to say, you know, like, I'm... uh, I'm a little bit Shakespeare'd out. I studied English literature 
for, you know, GCSE, AS level, A level, uh, undergraduate degree. There was so much Shakespeare. And then I also did a drama, GCSE and AS level and A level. And there was still so much Shakespeare and you know it's just like it's a lot and then my mother was a drama teacher so I was quite often going to like student productions of Shakespeare plays when I was a kid. I saw so many versions of A Midsummer Night's Dream and I was in one and a half. Um, I dropped out of the second one but uh, like oh my god Midsummer Night's Dream please stop it. It's, just, it's enough now. Um, so anyway, but actually Macbeth is one of the ones that I kind of know less well. I mean, everybody kind of knows Macbeth, right? But it's not one that I actually studied in great depth. So it's not one of the ones that I'm super familiar with. Um, and I did enjoy uh, the kind of, I would say like somewhat impressionistic approach to it. Um, that was definitely doing it for me. I kind of felt that it was a little bit in the Orson Welles mould. I don't know if I'm off base there, but it kind of felt like a Wells inflected take on Shakespeare to me. And yeah, I wish I could have finished watching it, but uh, here we are. Alright, thank you so much for getting to the end of this incredibly chaotic episode. And, you know, um, I'm sorry about the Apple Podcasts snafu. And um, I really hope that you'll check out The Most Scale, my uh, new podcast with my friend. I promise it is not as chaotic as this, because uh, we, we keep each other on track a little bit. Man! This episode got so much longer than I intended. Oh boy. And now I have to edit it. Alright, well, goodbye everybody. Um, and uh, I, I really hope that you're keeping safe in this heat if it's hot where you are. Man, it's too hot here. And I'm I'm in Northumberland, I'm not even in the south, but it's it's too much for me. I'm a delicate flower, so um make sure that you're like drinking water and keeping the shade and wearing a hat and all of that stuff if you possibly can. I hope you're keeping well. I hope you don't have COVID or monkeypox or you know, any of that stuff. Um feel free to email me panickingtheuk at gmail.com check out my letterboxd uh okay seriously i'm gonna go now thank you guys bye